yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful place to be and I, I really look forward to, you know, every day coming up here now and, and getting to work with some like absolute crackerjack people here. It's a really beautiful team and, you know, the industry is more special than it's ever been, which is great. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. There's something to be said about family, about home and the importance of the role it plays when fostering not only belief, but also safety, comfort and connection. They build us up to allow us to take on the world and welcome us back and offer support when it's time to create our own families. Often to succeed in the hospitality game, you need to leave the nest and spread your wings. And for many, once they've acquired the skills, they return to their family and region to share their passion and take food to the next level. Tom Robinson is the head chef of the Lane Vineyard in Adelaide Hills, South Australia. Tom, how are you? Yeah, really well. How are you? Now, should I go Anthony or Huck? <laughs> well, most people say Huck, but either or is completely fine. Um, you've you've had an incredible career and experience, but uh, in many ways you've returned to the fold. Um, what's it been like all these years later going back sort of home? Um, yeah, well, wow. It's actually, I've got to say a big thank you first, and it's been so fun kind of reminiscing Um and just going through the stories and the adventures because um, I think a lot of it you kind of forget about in this industry. You work so hard. and um, But, yeah, 20 years and I'm kind of back back where I started. And funnily enough, to get the job at the Lane Vineyard, I was actually helping out a friend casually who was one of my very first head chefs probably 15 years ago. So a bit of a full circle moment. Um but yeah, it's it's you know when I when I first um, started in the industry and and Adelaide and um, you know there was always the dream you got to get out of Adelaide you got to you know go to the big smoke or travel the world it was almost the rite of passage for for young chefs when I was um, first in the industry and um, yeah it took me a long time to to kind of probably realise the importance of 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 family and and eventually getting home to. Um, yeah, to, to enjoy the beautiful Adelaide once again, which I must say is a rock and roll food scene these days. It's been incredible to watch over the last few years. Absolutely. It's incredible to be part of and seeing that evolution there. How different is it to 20 years ago when you started in the industry um, compared to now? Yeah, it's completely different. You know, when I when I first started, when I went through trade school, um, you know, I got into pubs like a lot of us do and you know, it was funny when you look back and, and food for me then was, I remember once a chef had a, a special on where it was, you know, pasta with sweet chili sauce, cream, some shallots and some fried chicken tenders with some, you know, chopped, chopped parsley. And I was like, wow, that tastes delicious. Like it was, <laughs> and it, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a, a funny thing. And I was, I was really um, I was really, really fortunate. I happened to um, have a couple of super inspirational TAFE lecturers um, and they actually gave me a super cool opportunity to kind of um, do a bit of an exchange to Japan when I was just fresh out of trade school, um, which was a, a sort of a three-month contract that ended up being two years of bar hopping and restaurants and, you know, kind of finding myself as a, a young man in Japan. Do you have any stories of that experience in Japan at, at that age when you were just sort of starting your career? 
So many stories. Um, geez, it's one of those things as well where hindsight's great and I wish I probably had a more mature head on my shoulders back then. But, um, you know, I was a young young boy from Adelaide that, you know, was always a little bit, um, you know, safety first with a lot of my decisions. And, you know, I, I got this opportunity to go and work in a place called British Hills, which was where TAFE students um, from Adelaide were going to go here and kind of just learn culture and cuisine. And and um, in return, um, they were going to send some of their staff over because, you know, Regency and Adelaide TAFE had a really amazing um, reputation for, for hospitality, both front and back. Um, so, yeah, there I was. I still remember mum crying at the airport going, this kid can barely make himself a sandwich. <laughs> and he's, you know, he's, he's jumping on a plane and, um, yeah, it was amazing. I still remember being picked up um, by this, one of the workers there, um, Satoshi, and he drove me about three hours, four hours to a little village called Shinshirakawa in a snowstorm. I hadn't seen snow. Um, and, yeah, I, I just, yeah, it was just kind of blind, well, not blind luck, but just luck that I got the opportunity and that for some strange reason I found probably courage for the first time in my, my life and and did it. And then, yeah, it was um, incredible there to work in a Japanese kitchen, um, not being able to speak a word of Japanese at the time. Um, so I picked a lot of lettuce with uh, a, a beautiful group of um, Japanese um, ladies that used to kind of just speak to me in, in Japanese. And, you know, Tomokun was my, was my name and... Um, yeah, it was it was a, a beautiful beautiful moment to kind of work in a kitchen where I couldn't rely on communication. So there was a lot of watching and, geez, I tell you, from pubs um, to the respect for ingredients and you know the respect for culture and even the respect for chefs and the food industry that Japan had was, um, yeah, it touched me pretty deeply. To be honest, it was pretty special. It's an extraordinary beginning to a, to a career in, in the industry. And, and these days you're doing amazing things and making a real name for yourself at the lane. But take us back before you sort of entered the industry. What, what was food like in, in your family? Um, food, was, food was great. My grandparents um, on my mother's side, um, back when they were in England, had like a little catering arm and, and used to do a lot of hospitality my grandfather was kind of like a Garadon waiter. Um, I think that's pronounced correct. Um, so when, when you know, I my earliest memories were, you know, Sunday roasts at um, grandma's, um, you know, with all the rules and implications that came along with that. But um, there was definitely food, food and wine was something to be enjoyed. Um, it was almost a sign, I think, a little bit of um, success in a sense. You know, wow, look what we're getting an opportunity to have or or eat. And and it was, you know, almost to the point we were probably a touch gluttonous, um, but that's okay. Um, and then, yeah, like mum and dad were both busy at work. So, we, um, yeah, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of breads and meats and kind of that sort of Mediterranean, a lot of olives and, and sun-dried tomatoes and so forth. Um, but, yeah, I, I, look, I never thought I'd be a chef for, for, for quite a while. I always had a passion for food. Um, actually, me and a really great mate, Craig Wilmot, um, 
we used to get $10 from all our mates in high school and we'd put on dinner parties from um, the Naked Chef cookbook, <laughs> which was pretty cool. And we'd all go to his parents' house because they were the ones that would allow us to, to kind of trash the kitchen. Um, and yeah, we'd have like 10 friends over and I remember trying to do things like pastry crusted, you know, chicken and we'd, yeah, have these dinner parties and a little cheeky glass of Chardonnay and um, and that's, I think, you know, for me, it wasn't, it was like the food was always important, but it was that community um, and just that experience of, of cooking for people and the enjoyment of a good dinner party and, and those sorts of things were really special way to bond and, and build relationships, I guess. You spoke of the incredible influence your time in Japan had on you at such a early, early age. Uh, tell us about coming back to Australia. Was it, were there any sort of real important um, venues or moments that sort of helped create a path for you? Yeah, there was. And it seems my um, cooking career, there's always been a few just really interesting adventures. And I, I got back um, and, you know, kind of fell back into pubs in Adelaide because, you know, that was just an easy place to find work. Um, and then I got an opportunity to, to be part of the um, catering crew for the Variety Club Bash. Um, so I jumped on a, on a bus um, with a whole group of kind of retired businessmen that used to fund, um, you know, fund the catering side. And we drove up to Cameron's Corner um, which is kind of, I think, you know, South Australia, New South Wales, um, and potentially, you know, Queensland where they all touch. Um, and yeah, we set up a big tent and waited for the variety club bash halfway point and, you know, had this beautiful outdoor kitchen in the middle of the desert. We were sleeping in swags on the side of the road. And one of the other chefs was a, a wonderful guy called, um, Glenn Carr, and he was head chef of Auger in Adelaide which was, you know, back then was was probably the, you know, top two or three restaurants in, in the state in SA. Um, and he, we kind of got along really well and, and he said, hey, if you want a shot in, in fine dining or restaurants, come in for a trial. And I did. And I washed my uniform the night before and I washed it with probably three or four tissues in it. So I was stressed and covered in lint and rocked up to, at this place thinking I had a slight understanding of, you know, how to dice a beetroot. And obviously I had no idea. So that was, um, yeah, that was a big, a big learning curve, but a really, really wonderful one. First time to be part of a, a real restaurant and, and a brigade you know, that were really pushing and, and trying to achieve something really wonderful. What impact did, did that experience have on you and the direction that you took? Um, yeah, it just made me fall in love with what a restaurant could be um, and just on that different level, you know, fine dining in a sense. Um, and just how deep the world of cooking was and flavours and techniques and ingredients and um, you know, I think one of my first jobs, I had to bone quail and, and I was just flipped out that it was possible, um, you know, that, yeah, it was just really was just kind of opened my mind to, um, you know, just how food and chefs and the creativity and, and, and then just the relationships you built. Like, geez, I worked with some rock stars looking back. Like I remember being a young chef with um, Banjo Harris Plain, you know, who's ended up being a top som and 
you know, restaurant manager and, and you know, he was a, a young waiter and people like James Erskine and Travis Townsend who are, you know, now great winemakers and amazing sommeliers in their own right. And we were just this kind of young crew in little old Adelaide, you know, just rocking rocking this restaurant. It was, yeah, it was pretty, pretty special. It really kind of made me go, wow, what could I achieve in this industry, I guess? And just also what a restaurant and, 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 and what that kind of fine dining scene, though, you know, the word fine dining is always a bit here or there, but yeah, just what restaurants could really be, I guess. At the top of the show, we sort of mentioned that the lane is um, kind of a homecoming for you. You you sort of spread your wings and um, moved to New South Wales and did all sorts of things. T- tell us about sort of the people that sort of really impacted you in the venues. Um, well, definitely for me, look, I, you know, by the time I left Adelaide, I'd stayed at Orge for quite a while and had gotten to head chef. Um, and, you know, that kind of pretty classic scenario of, probably being <clears throat> too young to really understand how to run a kitchen, um, especially, geez, how to manage um, people and that responsibility and, you know, classic chefing, the drinking, the smoking, the partying. It wasn't an overly um, healthy lifestyle by the time I left. So when I got an opportunity to, to work with longtime friends and absolute effing legend, Timothy Montgomery, um, yeah, I saw a chance to kind of just sort of break free of Adelaide and, and kind of reinvent myself and um, yeah, I went over to Newcastle and he looked lifelong friend to this day um, but yeah, he um, was a really like really special chef and showed me and supported me and um, like an, an awful awful lot and backers um, it's not around anymore but um, yeah, backers in Newcastle was a really beautiful spot he coined, you know, the term for chefs, renaissance men, um, where we, you know, you were, well, he was a state kickboxing champion and so forth. So we'd, you know, be out training and, you know, boxing and then we'd be at a garden picking violets and, um, you know, we, yeah, then to this restaurant where the food was just so refined and soft and elegant and beautiful and his wine knowledge, I think he was one of the first people that, really got me super passionate about wine and um which you know which has also led to adventures in the wine industry as well and but yeah he he allowed me to kind of reinvent myself and I got healthy which was you know I think something we're not taught enough about when we're young chefs is that geez it's a tough gig and if you don't look after your body and your mind and and especially you know your physical health it it gets a lot, lot harder. So, yeah. And backers, man, if anyone's had the opportunity to, to eat Tim's food, yeah, some of the best meals I've ever had. So that was pretty incredible. We've had a few chefs on the program um, speak of the influence of Timothy Montgomery. Do, do you have any stories of working with him and sort of moments that sort of um, epitomise the impact he's had? Look, there's like there's a bit of an unwritten rule amongst us and – of that era of chefs, I guess. And the school of Timothy Montgomery is like, it's just amazing. Like some of the chefs he's touched and even the people, like I look at their careers and this one sort of joining factor is this Timothy Montgomery. And it's, there's just something about him. It's, it's, 
um, not just his ability to cook, but I think it was his ability um, to just, you know, like it was like almost having a father figure within the industry, you know, so you had support and strength and he, he managed to do it um, in a very articulate way, you know, it's just the sort of person with that energy. And funnily enough, um, you know, the brigade when I worked with FAS as well was was a little bit similar in the sense that, you know, the people, like just the why you wanted to work for him, I think probably for all of us it was was different. But, yeah, Monty for me was a, a fresh start and a friend and a support when I needed, you know, a bit of I needed some help with you know, my mental health and my, my, all those sorts of things. He just, he was always there and he was also, um, like would always listen to my crazy ideas and be like, yeah, like we, um, you know, we're both not the most religious people, right? And we, um, managed to talk in the Anglican church of Newcastle to let us put in a, um, kitchen garden. So we're there having meetings with this priest in a church and the two of us, you know, Tim, you know, grew up in a Catholic family, but geez, I think I hadn't been in church for 20, 20 years and we're there saying, hey, you've got this block of land next to the restaurant. Can we possibly, you know, try to excavate it and put in this wonderful garden? And um, But yeah, it's, look, I think Monty for a lot of us has, you know, he, he's been a support maker. Have you, if you've ever met him, he's got the shoulders to carry some weight as well. So yeah. Um, yeah, and then yeah, through him, you know, he gave me the opportunity to to um, go down and, and work with Fass, and also you know gave me an opportunity to go to the Noosa Food and Wine Festival, which was like super amazing as far as you know, chef love. That was a pretty incredible time to hang out with some incredible people and just get nourished in the chef soul, I guess. You mentioned Colin Fasnage a couple of times and the four in hand made a huge impact on the Sydney dining landscape and you eventually became head chef there as well. Um, what was it like for you in that tiny kitchen and, and in that role of a, a restaurant that had so much impact at the time? Well, you know, I must admit I started at the four just after the Renault's. <laughs> so I um, I only got the, uh, the beautiful brand new million dollar kitchen. Um, but, you know, I, I, heard, I heard the stories and I think um, for me, getting a chance to go and work for FAS and also getting a chance to go to Sydney, it was, um, you know, an opportunity to prove to myself that I wasn't a fraud, I guess. Um, you know, there's always a little bit of self-disbelief, um, I guess, and, and was I good enough and could I, you know, could I, I make it in Sydney? Um, and that was, I think, a big step, um, really just pushing myself um, to go and give it a crack. And, geez, I was terrified. <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, moving to Sydney, I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, I'm going to, uh, yeah, be found out here. And, and um, But I must admit, when I got there and, and met that crew as well and, and the head chef at the time, Paul Farag, um, he was a real champion and, and gave me a lot of self-belief and um, that team was the same thing as well. Like we were just, um, yeah, it was it was pretty rock and roll. Um, but Fass, man, what a champion, you know, still to this day. I don't know how he does it, but geez, he's got a cracking palate. 
um, and he'd walk over to you and taste something and like an alchemist put three or four ingredients in it and you know in Thassa's way Troy this mate and um, yeah it'd just be better and he taught me um, a lot about you know there was something unapologetic about Colin um, and his food style and you know we were yeah doing some some great things it was actually funny um when i went down for my interview with colin he was at um 4:14, and i walked in and and kind of sat down and um i only knew the stories so there was a lot of uh um yeah i was just like okay well let's you know see what this guy's all about and basically just looked at me and said do you want the job and I was like, um, I'm not sure. I don't even have anywhere to live. Or And he just kind of went, well, mate, you know, I've heard good things about you. If you want the job, it's yours. Just kind of let me know by the end of the day, <laughs> which you probably wouldn't remember the conversation, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I, I took it. And then I went up and did the Noosa Food and Wine Festival. Um, and Colin was one of the guest chefs up there. And um, he had a cooking demo on and had, you know, someone had put, the suckling pig in the oven and he'd gone past and been like, Oh, Tommy, yeah, look after that for me, would you? And, um, I set fire to it (laughs) and I was, (laughs) I was actually lucky we got it out in time. Well, you know, I didn't understand. I'd never roasted a whole suckling pig in the oven that if you don't have a trivet underneath it to catch the fat that comes out of the belly, you're probably going to set it on fire. But there's, (laughs) there's me, um, taking this job and then before I'd even worked with him, I'm almost stitching him up on, on stage. Um, I think I even, I think it might've been, um, uh, Mick Robinson, um, just sort of tapped me on the shoulder and walked past and went, Oh, good luck with that one, Tommy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, you know, there's nothing that a, a good boning knife and a little bit of scraping, you know, can, can, can save, but, um, yeah, look, the fall was, for me, a real proving ground for myself um, and just got to work with, with once again, geez, just I feel so blessed with the chefs I've um, been able to work with and see grow and, um, you know, even like the casual chefs that would roll through and help in, in that kitchen were great. And for me as well, it was, I don't know, I've always like that kitchen, you know, that chef, that little bit of affirmation is probably necessary. And, um, you know, the restaurant was great. You know, the people that came through it, the chefs that came through it, the people I got to meet, um, even, you know, the sort of the status, you know, if you, when you went out, it was, it was, you know, really, really good for the ego, I guess. And it was just, you know, it was a really beautiful opportunity to be part of that Sydney food scene. Um, and to be part of the restaurant when it closed as well was a really beautiful kind of moment to share um, that last yeah that last meal um, was yeah it was a, a really a really beautiful time and and I'm still good friends with fast um, I think he might even be coming back over this year to do another event with us at the lane which would be pretty awesome um, and him and him and Jane as well they were you know amazing and supportive and you know, they took me around to do amazing things. Actually, this is a classic one. In um, We did the Ord Valley Muster in Kununurra. Um, and I don't know if you've had a chance to head up to, to Kununurra in um, Western Australia, but it's a beautiful part of the world. And 
um, sponsored by Argyle Diamonds and we went up and, and you know, I, Fash just said I wasn't working much at the time and this was post four and he said, do you want to come up and give me a hand to this food event? So we rock up and it was just me and him and I got food poisoning. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm there to do all the heavy lifting and ended up being, uh, yeah, being sick <laughs> the day before all the prep kicked off, which was quite, uh, which was <laughs> quite, quite funny that he probably had to roll his sleeves up um, a bit more than he wanted to. But, you know, if, you, if you've met Fass and a lot of my friends go, oh, you know, TV chef, what's, his li- what's he like? And, um, yeah, geez, the dude can cook really, really well. Like I always say to people, he, um, he walks the walk better than most. So, yeah. You had a fascinating detour from sort of that fine dining world uh, with burgers. Um, tell us a bit about that. Rascal burgers. Chicken anarchy. Um, you know what? I love that I was part of the cliche of going from fine dining to burgers. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, it was when, when I when I moved back. Um, ironically, um, I went back to Newcastle because of a relationship. And then, you know, Tim and me and a few friends thought, hey, let's, you know, kind of do something. And, you know, the burger scene in, in Sydney was rocking and rolling. Like um, Warren Turnbull had um, his burger place um, and that was going gangbusters. And we thought, oh, you know, let's like, let's do something here. And, um, yeah, we, we came up with this concept and, and Rascal was born, which was amazing because – I'd never have had an opportunity to, to be part of the creation of a concept and business from the ground up. Um, sorry if my voice sounds shaky as well. It's about three degrees up here, so I'm kind of <laughs> semi-shivering in the restaurant. It's super cold. You're doing amazingly. Um, yeah, so so rascal. And, and I think, you know, once again, like I can't stress enough, like, you know, the industry and as a chef and what you learn or what you think you know, like I s- swear every two years, you know, you just kind of reinvent yourself with how much you probably don't know about the industry mm. and what, what you're capable of and then also, you know, the different aspects. And Rascal with creation and concept and building a place and working with architects and, and working with brand developers and, and once again, management um, for me was amazing. Um, I really enjoyed it. And... We had this funny little burger shop, which our business plan, you know, how on earth are we going to sell $1,500 burgers a week, which was terrifying. And, and, you know, Tim and me were constantly going like, oh, we're stitched up here. What have we done? You know, how are we going to sell 150 burgers on a Monday? And then, yeah, we opened the doors and um, we just went gangbusters. It was crazy. You know, 15 years of cooking and I got more street cred from – putting things between bread. Um, it, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. Um, and I've got a bit of a, this was, if, you know, people say, you know, trying to explain what happened with Newcastle, being a small um, town and community and, and we had pretty good names in the town already. Um, but there's nothing better than, um, you know, how, and I shouldn't say Newcastle's a small town because it's not. It's got a huge population, but there's that community feel there. And they kind of adopted us 
Um, and it was amazing, like the love that Newcastle gave us. And, you know, I think we did 3,000 burgers our first week. Yeah, so, you know, we all know the term in the weeds and we know the term going down and, geez, did we go down. <laughs> um, there's actually a moment and this was – it's tragic but yet beautiful um, because it just is like it's it's just so sh- stupidly hospitality and it wouldn't happen in any other industry. But Tim and I are sitting on the pass wrapping these burgers. You've got 100 people out the door. Um, it's just absolute anarchy. And um, Tim's father was really unwell, so he, you know, probably shouldn't have been there, but we had no one else. Um, and then I got a phone call from my ex's mum saying, um, look, Tom, we just wanted to let you know we've had to put, we had a dog together, had to put the dog down. Um, so I'm there emotional because I love this little chihuahua, you know, loved it with all my heart. Um, and, you know, me being six foot and reasonably well built, walking down the street with a beautiful little chihuahua was a hilarious, hilarious thing to see. Um, so I'm, I'm there and I've got like a single tear rolling down my eye and I'm looking over at Tim and he's got it worse than me because his dad's so unwell and we both probably should have just gone, hey, look, we just, we've got to go and sort out our own personal problems. But we couldn't because there was like 100 people waiting for burgers and we stood there across the path looking at each other for probably four hours straight just wrapping burgers. <laughs> And just kind of going like, what are we doing, man? Like, how have we, let's open a burger shop to give ourselves a bit more life balance. Um, and it ended up being just crazy. And look, you know, to this day, there's two venues now and I'm, I'm no longer in the business. Um, but yeah, they're still, still rocking and rolling. But it's, um, that taught me so much. And, um, but especially on the management side, I think we had like 30 staff at one stage, um, all probably between the ages of 17 and, you know, 24. And that really, I think, realigned myself with, with the youth a little bit and, and how tough it was and, um, how important it was to, to really, um, you know, to, to, to try to, um, you know, learn how to support and to, to, to really leave some, I don't know the right word, but, you know, to just kind of imprint some, some mm. you know, positivity and just some, I guess, some duty of care in a sense to, to a, lot of these, a lot of these young hospitality workers. We talked about the, the lane being a, somewhat of a homecoming for you. What sort of impact has this had on you sort of coming home and um, being part of this restaurant that's become so influential as well? Um, look, yeah, coming home was great. Um, like it was necessary. I, once again, burning the candle at both ends way too much. And I had, you know, probably my second, but most spectacular kind of meltdown and breakdown in Newcastle. And, um, you know, once again, just that unhealthy lifestyle and, um, you know, I, I, called dad one day and said, Hey, I need a change. I think I need a, I need a, um, you know, sort of come home and, and I think it's time. And my sister had had a little boy, um, which was pretty important because he was the, you know, the prodigal son was born into the family. So, um, I'm like, I got to come home and, and be a brother and just needed that safety, I think of, and that support of family just to kind of, to reset, um, 
So, yeah, we packed up my little shoebox in Newcastle and, and drove, you know, drove back to, back to, to Adelaide. And then, um, yeah, I managed to, to get an opportunity to – I didn't think I'd take a head chef role, to be honest. Um, and James Brinklow, the head chef at The Lane, who's, you know, been here for a very long time, and I said he was an influential – he was one of my head chefs at Auger. Um uh, my parents live in the Adelaide Hills and said he needed some help. So I um, worked, you know, kind of, kind of casually here to um, just pay the bills as I kind of tried to just reset myself within the industry again. Um, and then, you know, COVID kicked off, which was obviously pretty crazy for all of us. And, um, you know, I lost my job and, and got forced to spend eight weeks or whatever it was, 10 weeks living with mum and dad, my sister and her, her little man, which was probably one of the most necessary things I didn't need, I know. I didn't know I needed, I guess. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, it was, was great to, to reconnect and, and to stop and to just really think about um, my career and the impact of it on, I guess, myself and um, what was important and to realign some values, um, you know, because this industry, like I think every chef has a different story and, um, you know, it's a beautiful industry in so many ways, but it's, you know, it's really tough in so many ways and, and, um, yeah, I've got so much um, empathy and and uh, and so much admiration for so many chefs and and you know when you get to the the top, I guess of the game, and even for me, you know, I was very fortunate to work in some great places, and you know that was still tough. But you know, there are so many people out there that probably don't get the opportunity to, to experience you know restaurants in that um, capacity and. Um, yeah, to, 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 I guess, to get to see that side of the industry and are still, you know, getting up and, and doing it every day. You mentioned the um, sort of there was some key moments of, of breaking down and that need to come home and, and also um, the importance of mental health and looking after your own health. Um, for someone that's kind of really focused on that, so how, how do you approach that sort of balance for yourself? Um, well, yeah, I think, look, well, two things. Fitness is super necessary and I was fortunate. I got into to running <laughs> and that was kind of, um, kind of my, my saving grace. Um, and that helped a lot. And, um, yeah, look, I think, you know, coming home gave me that ability to, to kind of take a breath, um, for the first time and, and, you know, COVID, even though it kind of decimated our industry, it, it gave me, I, I didn't have a decision. I had to stop and, you know, just to kind of think about the industry and, and to think about, you know, moving forward, what was most important um, and, and what I really wanted to achieve um, and to fall back in love with um, restaurants again. You know, the burger world was amazing. Um but to get the opportunity to, to come up to the lane and um, to work in such an amazing part of the world, like it is, it's so beautiful up here. It really is quite special. Um, and to, to, you know, kind of to, to redefine 
my idea of the industry a little bit um, and to try to build a team where, you know, there is balance and, you know, I bust their balls these days if they don't eat breakfast, <laughs> you know, and um, if, you know, try to try to enforce a bit more, you know, communication. <clears throat> We've got a funny little um, thing that we attempt to do um, called touching base um, where it's just about learning or, or trying to, 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 to learn to communicate about things over and over again until it becomes easier. Um, you know, where we kind of sit down a little bit and, and just say, you know, how are you going and, and these different things. And, um, you know, if you've got a grievance to bring up, then to bring it up. And, and, you know, the idea behind it is that the first three or four times, it's really difficult to say, hey, that was tough. But, you know, after a few more times, it starts to get easier and easier and easier. And, um, yeah, I feel like it's it's trying to bring all those things that I – probably needed a bit more and, and um, wanted, um, you know, wished I had and did get from certain, you know, times in the career. But, you know, it's just also it gets very, um, yeah, it, it's it's a little bit insular, I guess. And now with the young'uns, um, it's, yeah, just trying to, to say, hey, it's okay to, to, to not be happy with someone. It's, it's okay to to ask for help to, for all these sorts of things and that, that balance, you know, balance and, and family and it's okay to, you know, to, to have other interests outside of food and, you know, you can endeavour to, to lead a, a balanced life within the industry, which I think, you know, it, it's necessary. And you know what? Our industry, geez, it's come a long way with those discussions and, you know, when... When I was young, it was head down, you know, ass up. And it was almost if you work less than 65 hours a week, you, you weren't going to make it in the industry. Um, whereas now I think we've all realized that it's not super sustainable. And, you know, you look at, um, yeah, you look at the industry now and it's, it's, it's I think, definitely moving in a really wonderful, um, you know, wonderful direction. <laughs> Which is great. Still, a lot of work to do, but we're definitely, um, definitely moving in the right, the right direction. Tell us a little bit about your food and the connection that you've got with the the growers um, of the region as well. Um, look, the food, geez, um, you know, my my food these days are at the lane. I mean, I think that's another thing with, um, uh, like within the industry, you know, what we're trying to achieve at the lane um, is to, you know, showcase the amazing wine and produce that the region has. And, um, you know, we're super fortunate up here to, to work um, with some great, great producers all over South Australia, I guess. Um, we've actually got a few of them coming to visit. We've got the guys from Gazanda up in Coffin Bay heading in for lunch tomorrow. And, you know, local venison producers and, um, you know, local pork producers. and But first and foremost at the lane, it's, it's you know, just a really beautiful experience that ties food food and wine together. And, and wine's a pretty um, epic passion of mine these days as well. I've been, once again, really fortunate to, to 
um, get some great opportunities in the wine industry. We actually made um, made some wine last year with the, the kitchen crew, which was pretty awesome. So if you're ever um, over in Adelaide, you can try our um, chef's wine, a Merlot made in the style of a Beaujolais Nouveau. <laughs> um, Amazing. Which, yeah, it's actually pretty um, – yeah, pretty cool. We handpicked um, off the, the the estate about half a ton of, of um, Merlot and a bit of Carbonic and um, got the guys to use an old um, crank press from, from one of the local guys. And, um, yeah, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty cool little project, which was, yeah, pretty awesome. You've uh, worked at some pretty incredible places and, and doing incredible things now, but you you once won Best Italian Chef. Can you tell us a bit about that? Oh, look, I think we've got to be careful about that because um, that was back in the days of the Restaurant and Catering Awards. Um, <laughs> and no, we, we – look, Restaurant and Catering back when I was a, a young chef um, was like the pinnacle. Um, you know, we didn't have – you know, the Sydney Morning Herald, the hats and so forth in Adelaide. Um, so that was our kind of like, you know, big um, big awards. And, and look, Auger won a string of awards. We, we won Best Italian, Best Italian in Australia and, and all those um, sorts of things, which was, you know, really great. And it, it's funny, like, you know, geez, those awards were everything to me back then. Um, you know, and there was always this drive, I think, for chefs and, well, um, for me, to, it was almost looking for that affirmation within the, within the industry. And, um, you know, awards were a great way to, a great way to do that and super proud, you know, of, of, of the team and for winning those things. But looking back now, you know, you kind of go, like, geez, I was a bit of a tyrant for a few years there trying to win these awards and, um, yeah, did it, you know, was it as, as much importance for the restaurant or was it more, more for me to kind of, um, you know, to prove that I was, that I was doing okay. And still, you know, it's, it's still so funny. Like I still get terrified every review season. I still get terrified every time I put a new menu together thinking, oh, my God, they're not going to like it. What's going to go on? Like, oh, what if they don't like the venison, Huck? What if they don't like the venison? Um, and I think that's, you know, part of our, part of our industry. There's a vul vulnerability um, that I don't think a lot of people understand because it's just food. It's a restaurant, you know, but for the people, front of house and back of house, when you kind of – put an idea and a creation onto a plate for people to judge, which I must say they're getting super talented at doing these days. Um, you know, there's definitely a lot more feedback these days than, than we used to get. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's it's 20 years and, and you think you'd have that self-confidence, but there's still that little bit of doubt a lot, a lot of the um, a lot of the time. But, you know, it's that's not what it's about so much these days it's I just I just you know I think it's it's funny I, I love the industry more now than I think I ever have because um, I finally I, I kind of finally feel like I've found my place in a sense and you know to be hopefully a mentor and a um, you know a really strong um, role model for for younger 
chefs and for the industry and, you know, the connections with people now as well, um, like hospitality, just people and, and the stories we share. And I've been fortunate to meet some some great people and have some friends and, you know, it, it, it's it's hard, I think, to explain to people outside of our industry, but um, we are surrounded by really inspirational people all the time, <laughs> you know, and there's something about hospitality and, and what it brings out. Um, and there's almost like a collective hive mind. I, I say like my sous chef at the moment, Cameron, I'll, um, you know, I think combined um, our powers are greater than individually, you know, like the whole concept of one plus one is three um and you know that that's just i don't know i feel like i I really um appreciate it now you know and i've got a a bit more of a um you know opened eyes it's not as tunnel vision as it used to be just getting that mise done and pushing for a certain you know a certain accolade or, or um a certain service it's you know the industry as a whole um and everything that it it comes with is it's slowly starting to make sense i think i've still probably got another 10 years of searching um and hopefully the body holds up to to (laughs) to that but um yeah it's 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 kind of it's kind of a really um it was almost a little bit timely you getting in touch now because it's like you know what yeah i kind of feel like I might almost have a story to tell, you know, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful place to be. And I, I really look forward to, you know, every day coming up here now and, and getting to work with some like absolute crackerjack people here. It's a really beautiful team. And, um, yeah. And even communicating now with my peers, it's, it's, I really, I really in, enjoy it. It's, it's, you know, the industry is more special than it's ever been, which is great. Well, Tom, you do have a hell of a story to tell and it was an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to just hear a part of it. I know you've got so much more, so I think we should uh, keep in touch and catch up again soon. Yeah, you've got to get over and, and come and drink some foot-stomp chef wine and, um, and, and have a meal. It would be great. It would be amazing. Thanks again, mate. Thanks, Huck. You're a true champion. Thank you. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.